0: Hello and welcome to Planet Crime, a true crime podcast. I'm your host Lauren, I hope this microsode finds you well. This, I don't know about you, but this is going to be a coronavirus free zone. Because I don't know about you guys, but I need a break from all of that, somewhere to escape. And that place is going to be here in all the murdery true crime. Unfortunately, Meeks couldn't be with us today. Computer problems. So while she sorts all of those things out, I am going to just put out a minisode for you guys to listen to. Um, So let's delve in. So, on the 2nd of May, a police officer on duty at the Agmort Police Station received a frantic call from a man who claimed that he had just had a conversation with a friend and he explained that his friend was about to kidnap a girl and that he is armed and I think he's about to do something really horrific. The man on the other end of the phone was 63-year-old Dominique Travasco, who was well known to the police because although he ran a scrap metal yard by day, by night he ran an illegal bar on the back of his property. Police had threatened a few times to shut his bar down. However, Travasco made a deal with the police. And so that if he didn't shut his bar, he would become an informant. Off the back of Travasco's tips, they had made quite a few arrests on charges such as drug dealing and carrying illegal firearms. However, they had never received information of this nature. Travasco, not to this extent, and not this serious. Police had no reason to doubt Dominique Travasco's tips and started to press him for more information. However, despite his willingness in the beginning, he wouldn't give up a name. No amount of reassurance of protection would make him give up a name. He did, however, give the officer a location of where he said his friend was going to meet this girl. He also gave the police a description of the vehicle that his friend was driving, a green 1994 Sia Ibiza. Very quickly, a team of four police officers were assembled and headed straight to the stopover bar where Travasco had led them. The police split into twos, while two of the officers went into the bar to appear like two off-duty police officers just grabbing a drink. The other two kept watch outside. This was all done as to not alert the potential kidnapper. After an hour had passed, the officers had not seen a car or person matching the descriptions of Travasco, all the ones that Travasco had given them. They called Travasco just to confirm what little information he did give them was correct. Police were confirming that the details they had for the description of the car were correct. A green 1994 C Ibiza. In that moment, Travasco realised to his horror that he had given the description of the car incorrectly. It was in fact a grey 1994 Citroen ZX. They were in the right place, but looking for the wrong vehicle. By this time, an hour had passed. They'd lost him. Because the police had had the wrong information, and where Travasco refused to give up any more information, there wasn't much else to do. Then, on the 4th of May, a man by the name of Savanne Rosine entered the police station in Marseille, 180 kilometres from Agmort. He wanted to report his wife, Elodie Morrill, missing. He explained that she had gone to meet a casting director from a modelling agency at a cafe nearly 20 miles away, but they had become worried when all contact with his wife had ceased. He explained that the last text he'd received was on Monday the 2nd at 9.30. The text read, Everything going well. I'll call tomorrow when I can. Hugs and kisses. Talk later. Savan feared that she had been sex trafficked across the country. He knew something was very wrong, but police believed there was a much less sinister reason that she had just upped and left. They believed that she had left him for someone else. Savan completely disagreed and said that although they were separated and free to date who they liked, Elodie would have never left her son. Police didn't feel this was an urgent matter and left it a few days before they filed a missing persons report. Officers, officers threatened Travasco and demand that they give him a name, but he, could, he wouldn't and he was too scared of the repercussions. Police in Marseille faxed a copy of the report to all of the stations in the south of France. Meanwhile, the AGMOR police were on high alert to any missing reports coming into the station until one morning they received a missing persons re- report from Marseille. It struck, it struck officers that the details were very similar to that of the details Travasco had given them. Agmort called Savan and asked him to travel to the station so that they could get more in-depth de- details of their lead-up to Elodie's disappearance. At 2am, Savan arrives at Agmort Police Station. He confirmed her vehicle details, emails between her and the modelling agency, and they also confirmed a description of Elodie, and the photographs that Sylvain had brought with him resembled a very close match to the details that Travasco had given them. Elodie and Sylvain Rosin lived in Marseille in the south of France. They had met through friends in 1995 and were married the year after. Then in 2000, Elodie gave birth to their son, Unfortunately, Elodie and her husband had recently separated, but it was amicable and they remained living under the same roof for the sake of their son. Elodie had always dreamed of being a model and at 28 she was fed up with being just pie in the sky. She returned. She turned to the internet to try and make her dream become a reality. To Elodie's surprise, she did actually get a reply. A representative of a modelling agency contacted Elodie by email saying that she was one of the lucky ones who had been shortlisted to do an advertising campaign for Rolls-Royce, and that they needed to meet with her. In the search for Elodie, the police deemed this area too big to search, so decided to put up roadblocks to stop and search vehicles. While the police encountered an old man who smelt like alcohol. He was waving his arms around explaining, Have you found him? The police didn't take the old man seriously and even let a number of the vehicles through while trying to decipher what he was saying. One of the vehicles that went through the roadblock was a white van. A van being driven by a man and in the passenger seat there looked to be a lady passed out with her head awkwardly leant to the side. Okay guys, that's it for the first instalment on this minisode, brought to you by your host Lauren. Join me in the next episode to find out what happens to Elodie. Also, I'll be giving Meeks a call and I want to give you all my list of uh, recommendations of podcasts and true crime things that I'm reading listening to and watching at the moment. Uh, Look out for part two in your feeds. Come on, it'll be a surprise. Until then, see you next crime.